There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This story is about a man who has served 42 years on Florida's death row. I didn't commit these murders, and there's no way DNA, there's no way any scientific evidence will say I did. For more than two decades, he's been asking the state to allow for complete DNA tests of the evidence in his case. Florida keeps saying no. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Joining us on the podcast today is Leonora LaPeter Anton. Leonora is another member of the Enterprise team here at the Times. And like Lane, she spent much of last year working on a major project. These two have been commiserating for months and months, comparing challenges and, well, let's face it, driving me a little crazy. But it's all good now. Today's topic, blood and truth. Leonora's multi-part series ran online and in print at the end of November. You can read it at tampabay.com slash blood and truth. You can also listen to the Blood and Truth podcast, now available in its entirety. So, Leonora, introduce the Ziegler case, why you got interested in the first place. And I guess, Lane, the, you heard about this early on. You guys have been talking about this guy for years. Years, yep. So, um, Tommy Ziegler is a man who's been on death row for 42 years, and he's been trying to get DNA testing for, I guess, the last 20-plus years. And um, so in 2010, I got an email from one of his supporters who said – you know, here's this really interesting case. This guy's innocent, and you need to look at this. So I looked at it. It was very, very complicated, and it was, you know, so hard to understand at first that, it, you know, my eyes glazed over a little bit at it because there were too many people, way too many characters. Four way, murders. Four yeah, murders. Four, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I need to get into the details. Sorry. Yeah, yeah 1970, so, 75. So it, it happened... Um, on Christmas Eve, 1975, uh, four people were murdered um, at a furniture store. Uh, police quickly zeroed in on the furniture store owner, Tommy Ziegler. Um, the people who were murdered were his wife, his in-laws, and um, a customer of the furniture store. Um, so I, at the time, I was working on the Enterprise team, um, and I was, I, I was intrigued by this guy who was who sent me an email about, about Tommy Ziegler because he seemed to be, you know, he told me I'm pro death penalty, you know, I'm conservative, uh, and I'm, I'm, but I really feel like this guy's innocent. My brother actually was one of the people who arrested him. And, um, but my brother thinks he's innocent too. And I thought, wow, you know, your brother, you know, thinks he's innocent and he was a cop. And so I was like, that's kind of interesting. So I did this sort of story about, well, it wasn't a sort of story. It was a story <laughs> um, about <laughs> a, a story about how, um, you know, here's this guy who thinks he's innocent and why and, 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 and it, 
you know, started from there, basically. And it was just sort of a, I, I actually at the time um, was trying to get it where I could see Ziegler interact with this guy. And um, I, I couldn't get access that way. So I went into the Death Row Cafe, which is where visitors go, and uh, sat with um, Ziegler and Ray McEachern is his name. Um, as they talked for about an hour. And um, I didn't have any notebook or pen or paper, uh, but I I was able to grab some little slice, slices of paper that were or, or little squares of paper. Did that they were, not let you bring one in? No, because it's the visitor's cafe. So if I had called in, I guess, and said, hey, Department of Corrections, you know. Oh, you just went in as a visitor. You I didn't went say as a I'm visitor. a reporter here. Yeah, uh, I just went in as a visitor. And now they'll never let her back in again. <laughs> well, I think they've already, I've already they've told already them. They've already figured that yeah. out. Yeah. I mean, I just went in as a visitor, and I I was just watching them, you know, as just a regular visitor. And so he put me on his visitors list. So then I was able to sit with them, watch them, see who he is, you know, their, their interaction. Um, and then there were these little pieces of paper up at the front and there were these little tiny pencils and I was able to go grab those and then I was using paper towels and you know to take notes and because I had no supplies and um anyways so I wrote that first story and it kind of started from there um part of the problem I think with the Ziegler story is that it is so complex that editors their eyes glaze over and that was one of the things that I and you've ran had into. a lot of editors here I have yeah. had a lot of editors yeah um, and so uh, getting editors interested in it beyond that original story was not um, easy uh, because it, it was just there was so many people who interacted with that store with Ziegler that night. And it's just a morass of characters. Now, early on, were you thinking about like whether he's whether you could prove his innocence? I mean, was that what you guys were debating and sort of like, could you dive in and actually find evidence that would exonerate him? In the beginning part, it was trying to understand the case. The state, the case was so confusing. And, um, you know, it took years for me to even get where I am now. I mean, in the beginning, it was, it was more about, um, I guess, trying to understand it yeah. trying to figure out is he or isn't he and and what are the what is the proof and and trying to not overcome the reader with thousands of characters and thousands of details because it's a case with a, of a thousand details and um so in the beginning it was just trying to find a path through to tell what is what is going on and um why is this man in on death row for 42 years? And and that was kind of where I was at with it, just trying to get it at first. Why why were you interested in it? You keep pitching it 8 years in a row here, all these diff- probably eight different editors at least. What 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 maintained your interest in it over all that time? Um well, um I think that uh you know, developments kept happening in it. And I kept seeing other angles for stories. And also, um, you know, people were telling me he's innocent. You can't let this innocent man sit in prison. You've got to, on death row, you've got to write something. You, you know what I mean? There were people who were pushing me. And, um, I, 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 but I was intent on finding an actual story. You know, I didn't want to just write I wanted to figure out a story, you know, something that would be 
you know, that would tell people about what's really going on. So, so the next story I wrote was about how, and actually, you know, a lot of it was getting my editors interested in it. So the next time my editors were interested in it was, was when I told them that this ex-beauty queen private investigator had come along and was interested and had been investigating it and had found a potential other um, suspect. And so that was when they got interested in it the next time. You know, I got an editor to be interested in it again. So I did another story. Um, but those were sort of quick, qu- quicker weekender kind of stories. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, the first one was a little bit, I mean, I went over to Orlando. I went um, I went and did a, quite a few interviews on the first one. Um, but the second one was more of an update. Um, and then I think I did a third update. Um, they were all updates. And... Um, you know, Cherie Diaz, who's um, a photojournalist at our paper, she um, came, was became the photographer on it, and she got interested in it too. And to, we did a lot of discussing it and a lot of talking about it. And then, you know, also throughout this period, you know, I'm interviewing all these different people here and there. People are calling me. I'm calling them. Um, but I'm working on all these other stories. I'm not working on this story. Right, this falls to the back burner. It is always in the back burner. And um, I really didn't have support for any sort of in-depth... But you were intrigued. I mean, you were... Yeah, because you guys... um, When I got here, you were both very excited about, like, hey, there's this big... There's this case here. There's this guy, and maybe he's innocent, and yeah. Well, I'd been pitching to do something larger for about three years, I'd say, and then... Uh, finally, when you came along, actually, it, you had a you had an outline for a project. Yeah, I had an outline, um, but then you gave me some time to sort of dig into it, and I started to think about um, why can't Ziegler get DNA testing, and are there other people who can't get DNA testing? Is it just him, or is it other people? And I thought that that was a way that I could sort of look at it um, and make sense of it uh, because. It was, you know, it was a, um, what do you call it, a um, circumstantial case. Nobody actually saw him um, murder um, anyone. So it was a circumstantial case. So I, I, you know, I just wanted to, um, I I felt that the only way really to confirm whether he's innocent or guilty was DNA testing. So I wanted to see what was happening. Why is Florida not allowing somebody to do DNA testing? That was sort of the the goal of the project. So this is why you're so good at being you and what you do. I mean, like, so that our conversations on it, when we first started talking about this, and I think a lot of reporters have a story in the back burner, you know, they just throw it back there and they just like, oh, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. And you guys were really intrigued about the case. But to me, it was like, I don't think you could take people back and walk them through this whole complicated thing unless there's something really fresh. And his story had been written. I mean, not not just your updates. Other people had written about the guy. He was still on death row. You know, nothing was happening. And so the challenge for you was like, okay, find find us something fresh. I mean, find us an angle that really gives it a reason to be and to take you back to this case, which is really complicated, but it's also interesting because it's like, if if you haven't read it yet, um, you know it's it's the 1970s. It's before forensic science. It's like really old school policing where they walk all over the crime scene and and there's you know there's a blood spatter expert from back in the day who 
you know, a lot of that now has been debunked. So there's a, it is interesting. The case is interesting in and of itself, but it's kind of like, why do readers care now? And so I think the DNA thing where, where you came back and you said, look, so here's, here's an interesting angle. Like, okay, Florida won't let him test his DNA. And no matter if you think he's guilty or not, that's something that a lot of people can get their heads around. Like, is it fair? Is it fair for this guy to be on death row and not at least have a shot at that? So I don't know. Did you, I mean, did you guys talk about this over the years, Lane? Do you remember talking about this man? Did, are you sick of this guy at this point? Well, I, I was just tra- confused over the years about what else you were going to do with it. You know, because like you said, there'd been a lot of other stories about it. There'd been like an unsolved mysteries about it. There'd been TV stuff. There'd been what, a couple books. And I always find that challenging. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, as a reporter, when you're doing a story that everybody's heard a piece of, you know, over the years, like, what do you do to make it your own? You know, and you did you guys together come up with the idea? I know. I, and you analyze like 500 death row cases right well, once, I mean, the, once the once the dna angle and sort of like that was in terms of trying to i mean i i think that was my most valuable contribution is just saying to these guys what's fresh what, what can we hit on that makes people care to go back to 1975 and then you came up with the dna angle and then it became okay well but nobody's nobody's studied any of that nobody's looked at any of that so yeah so then leonora has to create a database with 500 cases to figure out if Ziegler is, you know, this abstraction and he's the only one or this is a pattern. And as it turns out, it is a pattern because Florida pretty much you're guilty. You're done. You know, like you get the jury's verdict is the jury's verdict. And it's hard to, to come away from that. So creating the database and then and then and then having to revisit the 1975, 76, you know, the case and the trial, which you knew a lot about, but you had to get Go I, even deeper. Right. In the past, I'd been like one line, oh, this juror was given a Valium, because that's all I had space for. You know what I mean? In this and story, yes, a juror was given a Valium, folks. Yeah. <laughs> in this story, I was able to draw that out and give you the scene and where what was happening you know, at that point in time. And the other thing about this case is it has every single... Um, judicial flaw that we have that that exists practically is is in this you know prosecutorial problems you know everything that you can imagine debunked um, science, science yeah. um, you know it, it's it, it's it's a smorgasbord of that well, so. and there was a race issue and there was a gay issue yeah. and there was a, like family issues and yeah, yeah it had every complication imaginable yeah so, so you guys talk a little bit so we've just been uh, through the podcast we've been le- reading uh, Lincoln shot and going through that so Lane's was an eight part series uh, Leonora's was a six part series and uh, we've just done <laughs> ten <laughs> podcasts around Lincoln shot Leonora's been doing a, um, a eight nine part podcast on blood and truth. Um, so these are big, big projects, um, and you guys sit right next to each other. So talk a little bit about what it's, <laughs> what those months were like, agonizing over this, and how did you help each other? How did you, you know, what what went on there that I I probably don't even know what went on there. I mean, I, 
the stories for both of us came when our kids were in college. Like we dove in deep. So when we used to spend like 90% of our time talking about our kids and their school they went to together, and Leonor and I have been best friends for 18 years. So, you know, we have a lot of shared history and stuff. But I think having both of these together at the same time was, was kind of probably stressful for both of us because oftentimes in our friendship, you know, Leonor will be working on something hard and I'm kind of like, doing something not so hard or I'll be working on something hard and she'll be okay and we can be each other's sounding boards and sort of like take that pressure off and I think this we were both just like it was a lot of refrain of like oh my god are we ever going to get through this <laughs> you know or like it's not it's not possible to write eight parts on this in eight weeks you know we were I think it was a lot of angst going back and forth and dumping on you I'm certain Maria like <laughs> coming around yes um and this was, this was like your biggest project. This was your biggest project in terms of time and in oh, terms of I mean, I copy or no? The Sheer volume. Invisible was, was <laughs> pretty, pretty really long too. Huge. Yeah. yeah I mean, to and be, that took you a year and a half, right? Yeah. In that one? Yeah. This, um, yeah. That took a year and a half. So that one I think was bigger, a little bit bigger. How do you guys, um, aside from coming in and having me give you a pep talk, how do you, how do you <laughs> stay you know, what keeps you focused going through this? Like, how do you rally yourself when you're doing these long projects? Um, so I, I've been sort of, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, you're sitting here and you're going, oh my God, I ha- she's got this, she's giving me so much to do. And how do you get, <laughs> sorry, I mean, you know, by this certain time. And so I just sort of take each thing and do it as best as I can, you know, each little thing and just get through that little thing and the then move thing, on and then the next, the next thing. thing and the next thing and the next thing and just take the time to just do the, that thing as, as well as I can and, and then move on to the next thing and um, try not to think that there's 50 things down the road. It's it, that you're just working on this one little thing. That's how um, I get through it. And then, and then, you know, just, part of this is having to sort of, and Lane and I've talked about this, it's kind of a, you know, projects pull you in in a way that, um, you know, is unique. You're working around the clock. You're working at one and two in the morning. You're getting up at six in the morning. Um, You're just trying to pump it out and get it done. And it's just, um, you know, it it just becomes all-consuming. It becomes your whole life, and it's hard to fit in the other things in your life alongside of it. Um, so I guess that's my two cents. What about you? What you well, no, very similar. I mean, I think it's, I was totally overwhelmed and like confuggled by this. What am I going to do Is with this? Is that a word? <laughs> I just made that up. I don't know. <laughs> Confused and befuddled. There you go. It's Ooh, Confuddled. Fuggled. <laughs> until we made the chapters, you know, until we broke it up. And it was like, I can't write a 17,000 word story. Oh, but I can write eight. 2,000 word stories, you know, and, and so it yeah. just started thinking about it in the, the smaller chunks and then I could think, okay, what's my lead going to be for each chapter, you know, and I, I actually physically like put all the notebooks I didn't need for each chapter away so that I was only, you know, I only had the the, cha- the relevant notebooks out of 42 legal pads, you know, I'd maybe have six mm-hmm. and so that helped going through trying to like cull through all my information too and, and back to what Leonora said is I think I don't know if everybody works like this, but Maria is really amazingly kind about letting us work at home. And Leonora and I both have this thing where, like, you have to get into the cave. So when I really get on a roll in writing, I'm going to write for, like, eight or nine hours straight, you know, but I can't do that in the newsroom. It's too 
confusing and there's too many distractions and I'd rather go talk to the girl next to me. You know, it's like I have to seriously like be in a cave. Everything around me was photos of Lincoln and nothing in the room but the notebooks I was working on, you know. And so I, I feel like uh, having that ability to really focus and drill down, you know, and, and if I want to keep writing till one in the morning, great. You know? Well, I was going to say, and you guys aren't nine to fivers. It's like, you know, I'd get messages from you all at the middle of the night or early in the morning, like, what the hell are you doing? But it's like, okay, whenever, whenever the spirit moves you, <laughs> you're right there and right. you've got everything right there. Yeah. You can't work here either. I, nobody seems to want to write here. It's so. it's so much easier to talk to your friends here. <laughs> it's really <laughs> distracting. <laughs> it's very distracting. And also with something this large, with so many papers and documents from any, in yeah. my case particular, so many papers, so many documents, so many reports, so many transcripts, so many this. There's no way I would have to haul like a big U-Haul back and forth to work every day. I mean, not I'm exaggerating, but yeah. you know, it, it it's just so much easier to have everything there and also to not have the distractions of anybody else while you're writing. Um, as it is, I have I struggle with distra- distractions. You know, I struggle to focus. And if there's anything, it'll pull me away. You talk a little bit about, um, so we knew all, all along that we were thinking about a podcast and that we would be that your interviews would be recorded and that you would be thinking in terms of at some point we'd get done with the print online story and then we'd switch to a podcast. How did that change the way that you reported or the way that you went approach this story or did it? It did actually. Um, so heavy sigh. Not yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, the, because I was, I was writing for a series and then I was collecting for a podcast and so I needed audio and um, from people who, um, you know, who may not uh, propel the series forward. It's hard to explain. I mean, I could have just talked to them on the phone, if, if that makes any sense. But right. I had to go around to get these interviews so we would have raw audio. And that took a lot of time. And it took away from, I think, other aspects of it that I could have explored or drilled down into it and drilled down into because I was so focused on this podcast and then trying to do this six-part series at the same time. So I don't know. I would say it's hard to do both at the same time, to do sort of where you're investigating something and creating a podcast at the same time of it. I don't know. It feels a little bit like what you ask photographers to do when they're taking pictures and doing video that you you have to sort of like, there are two parts of your your mind and your process. And I know it's challenging. It's challenging because you're, I I know there were times you were frustrated because you're off interviewing somebody who may not even make it. I mean, and we have, there's some people in the podcast who were never in the series. In fact, Leonor's trying to shove everything that I took out of the series into the podcast. So if you read and listen, you can get the complete picture of her notebooks. Um, But yeah. I mean, interviewing for a podcast is different than interviewing for a story and in 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 a podcast you're trying to get emotional commentary you know you're trying to get people to get emotional and talk about how they feel and you know for the story you need a lot of details uh, you know just little things the scene what it looks like all that kind of stuff and so doing both those things in a certain amount of time is difficult sometimes um and I, and you know Shuri and I were at it crosshairs at time, you know, trying to negotiate that. Well, a lot, almost everything you did was being recreated too, right? You weren't like witnessing things in real time that you were recording. Right, you were having which to take people back hard. through, yeah. right? But I think I, I mean, obviously we're a narrative crew, and we, um, 
I think this has been really nice to have another venue to try to work. Even having you read Lincoln Shot on the air and like having people listen to it is, instead of just reading it, um, it's nice to push us into different arenas with storytelling. I think to have that. But yeah, we're gonna. It is. It is a difficult. It's a juggling. Mm-hmm. And now having to kind of you've had to redo the series in a different. We we had to pull it apart and bring it back together. Mm-hmm. As a podcast. Right. I mean, I, I basically rewrote each part and then added audio in, in between. And it was a whole new skill set and a whole new way of story, of telling the story. Um, and it was, it was interesting, you know, doing that. Um, I guess I learned a lot. And uh, um, I don't know. It was just interesting. Would you do it again? I would. Yeah. Oh, that's Maria's good. already talking to me about it. Yeah. I think we should do it again. We need to do it again. Right. I like people to come away. Do you guys feel like, see, I like people to come away from projects feeling like, not like I never want to do one again, but what's the next one? Like need a break in between, but still energized for the next thing, right? You guys are energized? No, they're tired. We'll be soon. <laughs> <laughs> Ask us next week. <laughs> okay, if you have a question for Leonora or Lane about these series, uh, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com and join us next week on Wednesday morning as as we uh, actually we're going to talk to another time staffer in the next podcast this podcast was produced by Monica Herndon music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory thanks for listening even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.